Hi, everyone. Welcome to Building Astropad. Matt here and with Savannah. So, Savannah, how are you doing? I'm good. It's good, Friday. Good. Now that we're started, so... yeah, Friday. Feels good. It yeah. does. It does. And so we are going to talk about bootstrapping today. And this is something we probably should have talked about a while ago because it goes pretty core to the company at Astropad that we're a bootstrap company and influences a lot of stuff we do. So I know you're going to you're gonna really like interview me today, Savannah. I'm gonna grill you on it. Yeah, grill me. Let's do it. Yeah. So where do where do you want to go? Where do you want to start? Well, I think it's accurate that bootstrapping has influenced every aspect of yep. the company in good and bad ways. Yep. In general, I think my biggest frustration with it is that we sometimes it feels like we're moving slower than I want to be. Yeah, it's a little bit painstaking because you're growing at your own rate. But I think the benefits outweigh, you know, those limitations from my experience over the last few years. Mm. Yeah, we've we've really been able to have control over the direction of the business. I mean, mostly you and Giovanni as founders, but even, you know, the rest of the people in the company being able to influence the direction that we go without having to you know answer to an investor right. an outside investor right. but i mean i'm curious to hear what you think like why going back to the beginning of the company why did you make that decision initially to bootstrap yeah to go back to the original decision you have to go back to really where the company began which was giovanni and i working as consultants we were doing iphone app development and some iPad app development too, but it grew out of that. And the original goal was, I mean, we didn't like consulting that much. <laughs> and the original goal was to get out of consulting. And so we wanted to build a product. We liked to build products. And we're like, let's build a product that can sustain the two of us. That was the original goal. Like that was, you know, obviously we've gone way beyond that, <laughs> which is great, but that was the original where we started. And so to do something like that, you know, it, it just didn't, it wasn't that we had this giant vision of, oh, we're going to do this thing. We got to do this thing and we're, we're going to do whatever it takes to get there. It was really like, let's, let's build some cool products. Let's build at least one product that can sustain us. And that's really where it began. And it's come incrementally from that. And along the way we have considered like, okay, is, is it the right time to, to bring an investment? Is that the right thing for the company? But it's, yeah, it started and pretty quickly got beyond just the two of us because our first product, Astropad, was successful enough that it very quickly grew beyond just the two of us, which was, which was awesome. But it also started bringing in money. And as it was bringing in money, it was like, okay, well, we're profitable right now. Yeah, is outside investment what we need? for where we're at and what we're building. Okay. So it wasn't really a decision of like, oh, we want to we want to bootstrap. It was just like we want to we want to build this small thing and then over time it kind of evolved into something bigger than yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. It it just kept growing. We're like this thing can keep growing, so let's keep growing it. Yeah. I actually didn't know that about you guys, I didn't know that you just wanted to build something to sustain the two of you. I thought you always wanted to grow a business 
and, you know, manage a team and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I definitely did want to do that. But we saw this as one step of many to get there. And that was like, okay, if we can, I mean, even our initial ambitions with it were even at times we talked about, okay, what if we can even do half of our time consulting mm. and half working on a, on a products? And so then the thinking was, okay, if we can get one product that is like sustaining us, can we develop other products and grow it from there and then grow a team? But yeah, we didn't expect it mm -hmm. hit so much out the gate like that. Like we didn't, we didn't expect it to take off so quickly. So did you and Giovanni have to make an initial investment, like financial investment as you were getting started while you were still consulting? Yeah, it was, it was pretty limited, but it was mostly from money we had made consulting we put in. I think maybe like $5,000 each. It was a pretty small amount in terms of, you know, <laughs> of company, company size <laughs> investments go. Mm -hmm. And we did that, but most of it was really sweat equity. It was mm -hmm. just putting in a lot of hours, working at night, working whenever we could to try to get things going. So it was really our time was the biggest thing that went into it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that over the years, there have been points where you've considered like, is this is this the right time now to raise money? What has stopped you from doing that? Yeah, well, there's a number of things. I mean, we've looked at it at, yeah, at different times. And at one point we did really seriously look at like, okay, should we, should we bring in some outside money to really try to, to grow this things faster? And at the time we only had one product, we had Astropad and we were putting everything into that. And I remember meeting with some potential investors and especially in terms of venture capital investors, the potential market size was just never big enough for them, for Astropad to invest. Like I spoke with one, I remember he said, at a minimum, it has to be a billion dollar market in the US alone. And we were looking at the graphic tablet, drawing tablet market, which at the time, internationally, you know, the, in the whole world, the market was about half billion. And so that was just too small for a venture, venture capitalist type investor. But to us, that was still a huge opportunity. We're like, yeah, we know it's not interesting to you, but this is interesting to us. And we realized that if we did convince one of those investors to come on, that they would force us to abandon Astropad. We'd have to go in a completely new direction. They'd be like, don't, don't spend time on Astropad. You need to be working on something that has 10x the market size. And we just never liked that idea for a couple of reasons. We thought the probability of success was lower to go for some like kind of moonshot, like to totally pivot to a new product that had 10x bigger market and to go for a moonshot there. And, you know, you have to look at it from... You know, venture capitalists versus ourselves, like the VCs, they're putting money into a bunch of different companies. And so they want these companies to go big or to die trying, right? They're looking for massive returns on their investment. So if a company is just kind of hanging in there, you know, that's, that's not great for their portfolio. They need blowout success. But that's their perspective. Our perspective as like, founders and also other team members on the team, it doesn't have to be a unicorn for it to change 
our lives and the lives of other people on the team. So this idea that the only way it was only go big or bust just didn't appeal to us. It just, it was like, you know what? If we make a smaller company, but can still employ tons of people and can put out cool products and can change both, the, as I was saying, the lives of customers, the people that work there, us as founders, like that's a big win to us. And we had already put so much into this already, so much sweat equity, building, getting to Astropad, the, the first product we had, that just the idea of going in a different direction too just didn't appeal to us. We just couldn't really let, let go of that. And it's probably worth noting too that as the first product being a software product, bootstrapping was probably a much easier decision than it would have been if maybe the first product had been a hardware product or even a like Luna display or hardware product with, you know, more upfront costs. So yeah, probably a consideration that, you know, maybe not everyone who is starting a company can make, like if it's just a software product. So the other thing too, it's making me think of other reasons as well. Another one was we thought, okay, what are we good at? Like just Giovanni and I, the initial founders, this is back in the day when it was just the two of us. Okay, what are we good at? Are we good at going out and selling what we're going to do and fundraising? Or are we good at building stuff? Both of them can bring in money to fuel growth of the company. And we think we're better at building products and selling them and doing that organically than we are to go out fundraising that we've never really done. We don't know a ton about. We're probably going to be bad at it initially, just like anything you start versus something that we had a lot of experience at. And so then, okay, let's, let's build. And as we're building, you know, that just starts to get the flywheel effect going where, okay, more money's coming in. We can do more. We can do a bigger product. As you said, then our next product was a hardware product. Okay. That one's even bigger than we did before. Okay, we can use the profits from that to do an even bigger product and do it again and again and again and just keep growing it like that. Is that what you mean by the snowball effect that is then? That's exactly yeah. what I mean by the snowball effect. And that's what we've talked about a lot too is pretty much every new product we've done or new major upgrade even to our existing you know products like Astropad, each one has been bigger than the last. Everything we've done, like, we started with Astropad and we brought out Astropad Studio, which was more sophisticated and more feature rich than, than just regular Astropad. And then we did a hardware product and that was even more complex. And so we're adding to our capabilities over time. And now we're working on Windows, right? And now we're going to be deploying products across multiple platforms at once, hardware, software, across Mac, iPad, and Windows. That's a capability we didn't have before. We couldn't develop Windows products. Now we can. So when we want to do something new. And another thing that happened too is as we were bringing in money selling Astropad, I remember talking to our accountant at the time and talking about like if we should fundraise. And he was just like looking at our balance sheet. And he's like, you know, how much would it change what you're planning to do right now if you had X more dollars in the bank account, if you'd raised X more dollars? Like how would that change things? And fundamentally, the answer came back that at the time, it wouldn't change anything. So it was kind of like, well, why, why do that? Why spend time on that? Why sell that slice of the company if it's not going to fundamentally change the plans right now? And so that's 
we're like, okay, great advice. Back to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point that you brought up earlier that if you're choosing to raise money, that does take up a significant amount of time. Like that would have probably taken you away full time from actually working on developing Astropad at the time and being a full-time salesperson. So yeah, I guess if, if you're good at that and that's your skill, then like I know people who would be great at that, like convincing people to invest in their business. Not that you're bad at it, but you're probably sure, a better no, developer. Got, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And that's the, that's the calculation we made. And in the case of, you know, other people that, you know, it might be a necessity too, if you don't have somebody on the team, on the founding team, that's developer, engineer of some kind by background, right? So it's like, okay, well, how are you going to build, if you're building a new product, right? If you're reselling existing stuff, then it doesn't matter. But if you're trying to build something new, okay, well, you really, you need some engineers of some kind to build, to build that new thing. And if you don't have that capability on the founding team, then you're basically forced to raise money. You need to raise money to, to build that initial team. So what I'm describing isn't an option for everyone, right? It went back to thinking about, okay, Giovanni and I's backgrounds, we're both developers, engineers by background. What are we good at? What do we know well? And that's, yeah, really what we relied on. So it really, you know, this is what worked for us, but it really goes back to anyone that's going down this path, knowing what they themselves are good at. You know, I can see somebody with a, a strong business background, a finance background, you know, them having a much easier time raising money than me with some of my hand wavy graphs and metrics and things that I, that I'd have. Right. Like I've certainly gotten better at it, but at the time, no, it wasn't probably wasn't particularly compelling, you know, so that kind of person is going to have an easier time raising money. But at the time that was not a strength we had. Mm -hmm. So when you are looking at our company finances, what are some of the metrics that you have to be much more honed in on as a bootstrapped company versus venture-raised company. Yeah. And the other thing too I should talk about a little bit is I worked for a venture-backed company. So this also influences my experience and what what I wanted to do. Yeah, because you had a pretty bad experience, right? Yeah. I mean, there were good (laughs) parts, but not... Yeah, not necessarily. It sounds like it was a little volatile, right? It was very, and actually exactly the thing I described happened where we had been developing a product for quite some time and we started to get some customers and it was really interesting product to work on. This was more in the B2B space and it was having to do with source code, like source code code analysis. And we were starting to get some traction and it was like, cool, we could like, make this into a company, right? Like this could be a real thing. Like I like the people I worked with. I like the stuff I was working on. But the pressure from the board and the investors was, look, this is never going to be that big of an opportunity. Like this market isn't big enough. You need to get out of it. You need to go do something else. So they, they started chasing all these other crazy things that never really actually panned out that much. But they spent a lot of time chasing after it even though like right in front of us, I was like, oh my gosh, we've got a a product right here that this could be successful. But it just was never, it never had the 10, 100x potential that the VC investors were looking for. That certainly influenced as well. And also just the, yeah, there was a lot of of volatility. Because the other thing with venture capital is 
They want rapid growth. They want that money you're putting in. They don't want to see it just sit in your bank account. They want that money going in to be used for rapid growth. And so they would bring in a bunch, hire a bunch of new people, bring in a professional CEO, bring in a sales team, bring in an engineering, VP engineering, bring in, you know, all these, bring in a CFO, bring in all these people overnight. And, you know, the culture of the place kind of went to shit when you bring in all these new people overnight that know nothing about like what everybody else has previously been working on. So that's a really hard transition. And then, you know, we hit some bumps along the road and then overnight, almost all those people were gone again. It was, it was wild. You know, they were pretty much all CFO was gone. The CEO was fired. I remember getting called on a Sunday. They're like, yeah, the board just fired the CEO. And then that CEO had brought in a bunch of people. So the CFO was gone. The VP of this was gone. The VP, you know, it's just like overnight, it's completely different. So it was very volatile. Yeah, pretty high stress. And that's the other thing too, is that Giovanni and I have always talked about wanting to enjoy the journey. It's not just the destination. That's nice. But it's the journey as well. And making it sustainable for ourselves and everybody else in the company. And some of the stuff that I would see in some of these VC-backed startups, you know, there was a lot, a lot of pressure from the board, a lot of mm. pressure. Yeah, it really shapes the company culture. Well, we were talking about this recently that, you know, we call ourselves a startup, but really we're not in terms of the typical startup culture. Like I would say Astropad is a, a good place to work. Like we're not working really long right. work weeks and, you know, meeting crazy deadlines or anything. It's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty relaxed, I guess. I mean, we work hard, but we aren't slaves to our investors and trying right. to meet meet their yeah. expectations. Want to take breaks and yeah, enjoy the journey, like I was saying too. Like not just be in this state of like barely making it, which again, I'm generalizing. Not all VCs are like this. Not all of them are going to push you like this, but just as a trend, like what I've, what I've seen myself, what I've seen from people that have been involved in those, in those kind of startups as well. It's a very different, it's very like, let's take this from nothing to a hundred million in five years to go with that kind of hyper growth. It's going to be super, super stressful. And it's going to be a lot of hours, no matter how you slice it. Right. Growth so, at all costs. Growth. Yes. Thank you. That's a good way to put it. Growth at all costs. Right. Anyway, to get back to your original question, which was, I went on a tangent here big time, Yeah, is what's some something you need to pay attention to in a bootstraps company that you may not in another, in like a, say, VC-backed company? Definitely the first one that comes to mind is, is profitability. We use the profits from the company to fuel growth. Like we take those profits, we put it right back in. We took profits from Masterpad and that's what we used to fuel our first hardware development. And we wouldn't have been able to do it without it. And I know in typical VC company, you're break even or they want you to be even a little bit negative. They want you to be spending that money and everything being used to be funneled back in for growth. And so that's a very, very different mindset. And recently, you've seen a lot of companies raise giant amounts of money and really, really push out profitability. And I do think the hard part about that is I think being profitable a company is also a habit you develop. I feel like these companies that have tons of investment to rely on, you get used to having giant staffs, having 
super high-end offices and primo real estate with, you know, super like, I don't know, whatever crazy benefits and stuff you want to think of, right? And it's almost like lifestyle creep, but for a company. Mm-hmm. You never have to be scrappy. Yeah, you're, you, mm-hmm. you don't build these scrappy habits, right? Now, that's not every company. There's some that like Amazon is famously scrappy. I haven't worked there or anything. I don't know. But from what I've read about it, famously scrappy, especially in the early days and continues to be scrappy. But that's hard. That takes a lot of discipline, right? When you have the money available to you and to be scrappy is hard versus when you're bootstrapped, you have no choice but to be scrappy, right? So you build these, you build these habits that you can use as you go forward to build a profitable company. Like it's not hard. There's not like many, like Uber, for example, or some of the other big unicorns, they've had to have massive, massive cost cutting to become profitable companies. And it's because throughout their whole history, they've never built up this habit. They've always just, you know, had huge amounts of funding because of the opportunity. At the end of the day, they got to it, they IPO'd and they're like, oh, actually this opportunity, it's huge. It's big. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as big as they had sold, right? And so they had to undergo massive cost cutting to get get expenses and everything under control. And that, you know, is, is painful for those companies. So I feel like it gets you in good, good habit, a good practice to be able to be scrappy and be able to generate a profit along the way. That also sort of influences how you hire in the early days of like a bootstrap startup versus venture backed because at least for us we i wouldn't say we necessarily hire like a bunch of experts we hire people who are more willing to be generalists and wear multiple hats i mean maybe that's not as true for the engineering team but for the rest of the team absolutely because since (laughs) You know, since we're not hiring a huge staff, we're only making new hires as we can afford them. Each person is responsible for many things that wouldn't necessarily, you know, fit into like a traditional job description. And so like on the marketing side, like everyone is a generalist instead of hiring like, you know, an SEO expert, like we have to do it ourselves. Whereas in a venture back startup, I I get the feeling that you would hire experts to manage those things because you have the funds to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And some of it too, I saw like the VC back company I worked for, they would actually bring some of those specialists on too early as well. And so we'd have these like specialists, this like really specialized, like the, for example, a large sales team, for example, with a product that's not ready to be sold, right? That would be an example. Now that's not to say that Bootstrap companies are perfect either, right? I would say the opposite is probably true in bootstrap companies where you're too, you know, eventually you get to a level of growth where you can, where we could have more specialized people on the team. And in a bootstrap company, I can see us in particular, you know, maybe having the tendency being too slow to bring on some of those specialized people, right? You know, taking the scrappiness to too much of an extreme where it actually starts to starts to hurt growth. I mean, I can see that as being something that you need to be cautious of in a bootstrap company. Well, that's a good segue into my next question, which is like, what what are the limitations that you felt over the past few years? Yeah, definitely you go slower 
in certain ways, especially when there's, you know, a big meaty problem you're after where a big team would help. Now, it's not always the case that a big team does help, but in some cases when it does, you know, it'd be nice to have to have a bigger team to go after it, after things. So you definitely get that slower growth. The other thing I'd say is you end up having to do many things in a roundabout fashion. It almost makes you think of like in sailing where you tack back and forth, where you can't sail directly into the wind. You got to go a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left. You can never, you kind of zigzag your way back and forth. You eventually get to the same spot, but you can't sail directly to the wind. Sometimes I feel that way because we have ideas for really ambitious products we want to build, but we can't go directly there. Like we don't have a big enough team. We don't have the resources. And so we build them more incrementally. Like we, as I talked about that snowball approach, we'll build a bigger product, a more complex product, it gets us closer to being able to, to do more, right? Like when we first started out, we were only doing Mac and iPad apps. Then, you know, we added hardware. We had to also be able to do subscriptions. And then we added hardware. And now we're adding Windows. And we have some web capabilities. And like, so over time, like what we're able to do, so what we dream up, we can do bigger and bigger stuff. But that is the limitation. We haven't been able to go right there. Like we've had to build these intermediary products, which are good products in their own right, versus the alternate, which is like, okay, yeah, raise a ton of money and go straight, straight to the, the monster product itself too. So with bootstrapping feels a little bit slower sometimes. Sometimes it's a little more roundabout. Are there any more limitations that you can think of? Hmm, it sounds like you're thinking of one that I'm not thinking of. <laughs> well, I guess it kind of goes with the last thing that you said, but just being able to do more than one thing at a time, which is something we've been talking about a lot as a company, that frustration of, you know, having to get everyone in the team focused on like solving one issue and even though there are other, you know, products or issues that you want to solve, you just don't have the resources to do it at that time. And that can be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely where we're waiting for the next product launch before we and to use those funds to grow a new team, to go after something, a new opportunity. Definitely, definitely. And that that to me is also Part of what I'm thinking of when I'm saying to like the tacking, you can't sail straight in the wind. You kind of have to go roundabout to get there. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a slower process. Definitely. But we have been able to raise funds in some ways that aren't, you know, venture funds. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah. The thing is, even since we started Astropad, there's even become more options here. Mm-hmm. There's becoming more and more and more alternative funding options for things that VC is not right for. Because more people are recognizing that there's really good businesses to be had in niches and areas that aren't big enough for VCs, but can still be phenomenal businesses. So there's more options there in terms of like different debt financing and different tons of different stuff there. Bootstrapped accelerators that focus on bootstrap companies, different ways, lots of different ways out there. Two in particular that we did though is Kickstarter. So crowdfunding, doing two Kickstarter campaigns at this point. That's awesome. And if you're doing a hardware product, totally the way to go. Mm -hmm. It's amazing for hardware products. 
So that's been huge for us. And the other one is, well, and actually how we met you, Savannah, is through the Minnesota Cup, which was essentially like a business plan competition. And there's many of them. This is the biggest one in Minnesota. And we participated in that and did really well. Ended up winning the whole thing, which was awesome. And we got $80,000 from it, which also helped get the company initially going. But I think a lot of like state governments run programs like that or universities too. Yep. Universities. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff. I've seen other companies too, actually other winners of the Minnesota Cup where they've done other business plan competitions and they just like hop between different mm-hmm. competitions and they keep winning them. And it's it's been a, a good way for them to bring in additional funding. And for them though too is, again, everything I'm talking about, I'm talking about in light of us as a heavily sought company that's dependent on software. And the nice thing about software, now we do have hardware, I know now, but we didn't start with that initially. The nice thing about software is it doesn't need a ton of resources to get going. And some of these other businesses that you see, they're doing like medical device research, they're doing HVAC stuff, they're doing things where you need a lot more capital because there's just heavy manufacturing or there's expensive facilities or there's, you know, so we had the advantage of we didn't need those things. Mm-hmm. So you you said earlier that, you know, there have been a few points where you've thought, oh, maybe it's time to raise money, but then you backed off from that idea. Do you ever see that in the future of the company or do you think we're, we're set on this bootstrapping path and you're not going to change your mind? No, I, I wouldn't ever totally rule it out. No, I wouldn't. Because there could be a point at which we have a product that has such an enormous potential market and the thing, everything is aligned up just right where we feel that we need to build a sales team quickly. We need to, I don't know exactly what it is, right? Maybe it's a hardware product and we need to massively upgrade our manufacturing ability, right? And our distribution ability. It's like, hey, we've got a major hit on our hands and we quickly need to be able to meet this demand, right? In that case, I think we would look at it, but we view it as a tool like anything else, right? Like we're not, we're not dogmatic about it where bootstrapping is the only, only possible thing we can do. It's just, we look at it and we look at the alternatives and the pluses and the minuses of taking each approach and like, okay, what are the advantages or disadvantages of doing this? And it could be that we have such an incredible hit on our hands that, that we need that to scale up with demand. That's really where I see it more coming in and less so in funding the R&D process. And I think that's, that's another reason we've traditionally been, been skeptical of the VC route for us is we're always doing a lot of R&D, trying to develop new things. And that kind of process doesn't necessarily work better with tons of people. Like that's something that the initial kernel of a new idea can be better done by a small team. And that's why I see like once you have that initial idea and it's really caught fire and then you want to scale it up, that's where I really see. And I've talked to many other bootstrap founders too that have done exactly that. They bootstrap for many, many years. They get to a point like, okay, we need some some outside investment to take this to the next level. Some of them never do it. I think MailChimp, I think they're one, they're a unicorn. They're bootstrapped. It can be done. Atlassian is another company. Atlassian is, gosh, what's their market cap? 20 billion, 40 billion, something like that. They're bootstrapped. 
Yeah, are there other bootstrapped companies or founders that you've kind of looked up to over the years? Yeah, definitely those I mentioned, MailChimp, Atlassian. The other one I was going to mention is the Basecamp. Yeah. Basecamp, it's impressive what they've been able to do. Balsamic is another one. Yeah, those are the ones that come to mind initially. Calendly actually is one, they're not totally bootstrapped, but they're like mostly bootstrapped that have built a massive business as well. Mm-hmm. So there's been a number of them that, yeah, really impressive businesses that have been, that have been built. Mm-hmm. So... Do you have any final words of advice for someone who's considering going this route? Yeah, the bootstrapping route? Hmm, final words of advice. That's a good question. I mean, I think whether considering to bootstrap or not, I think really take a hard look at the market you're going after. And if it's big enough to sustain venture capital, that's something to look at because that was something that we hit our heads on against initially. And also think about the kind of life you want to live while you're building the company, right? Do you want to have a hyper, hyper focused four years, five years, whatever it may be, like go from raising money to series A, series B acquisition, right? And super, super intense period. Or are you more okay with going it slower and it'd be a 10 or 15 year period? and being more of a slow growth, right? Like, which appeals to you more, right? And I know some people are like, hey, I wanna fail fast, right? Like, I just wanna, I just wanna get in there and like, okay, a couple of years, I know whether this is gonna work or not, mm-hmm. right? Some people wanna go that route, nothing, nothing wrong with that. And then also thinking about like, what strengths do you have? What skills do you have, right? Like, is it feasible for you to bootstrap? Like if you're somebody with an idea, but you don't really have the means to build it, that's going to be extremely hard to do without outside capital. So either you got to bring in outside capital or you got to learn yourself how to build that, that thing. So that's a couple of things I think about when looking at, do you want to take the VC route? Or do you want to take the bootstrap route? Cool. Well, that was all I had for you. Do you have any yeah, final no, words? Good. No, I think we covered we covered a lot of it. Thanks, Savannah. Yeah, thank you. That was good. Cool. All right, all right. <laughs>